0: Take your Bible and turn to the book of Jude. Jude, starting there in the 22nd verse. Well, actually, let's go back to the 17th verse. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and Of some have compassion, making the difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, be for the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne this evening, Lord, we heard even more this evening that more of uh, the members of this house, Lord, uh, have fallen sick, Lord. I pray that you'll do a work that you can do, Lord, and um, pray that I long for the day where we're all back together healthy worshiping you. But in this meantime, Lord, though some of us are here, even this evening under the weather, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to focus in on your word. Lord, even myself, give me the words to speak. May we be reminded of what is presented before us in this text, of the way that we make a difference in this world as having compassion to those people who've been bamboozled by these apostates, reaching them with love, reaching them with the gospel, trusting and resting in the fact that um, you are able to keep us rooted and grounded in truth. Lord, we thank you for the promises of your word, not only that you'll preserve our footing in this present time, but you'll preserve us all the way into the end when we're reunited with you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. It was said that a father and son was walking down the street. And as they was walking down the street, the son had a hold of his father's finger, gripping it ever so tightly. As they had made it halfway down the street, the son had tripped and fell and hit the ground. The father stopped and picked the son up off the ground and brushed off his knees and stood him back up, patted him on the back, and they began to walk on down the road. The son reached up again and grabbed his father's finger all the more tightly. As they turned the corner, the son tripped on the curb again and fell and hit the ground. The father leaned over and picked the son again, picked him up again, brushed his knees off again, patted him on the back, and continued to walk down the road. The son stopped the father and said, Father, I have a better idea. Instead of me holding your hand, how about you hold mine? They continued to walk the rest of the way to the store, And though the boy stumbled, and though the boy tripped, he never fell because the father was holding the son. Here in our text, in a greater way, in in a deeper way, in a higher way, Jude brings us to the reality that God is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you in a manner even when you're not even able to keep yourself. Jude was not writing about the possibility of believers uh, falling into sin and falling out of the family of God. We know that not to be the case at all. We have been preserved in a way that cannot be lost. John chapter 10 and verse 28 reminds us of that great truth. He said, and I have, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But what Jude was writing about here is he was writing about the believer's daily walk with the Lord and the danger of going astray and stumbling. Now we understand that If we do go astray and stumble, that first John chapter one and verse nine makes it very clear that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us our unrighteousness. And even further on in Hebrews chapter 12, he makes it all the more clear that if a believer is in sin and decides to continue in sin, Hebrews chapter 12 says the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of sin. He knows how to handle this. But here in this epistle that we've been studying uh, on Wednesday nights, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, it really in these 25 verses that comes to a close here, in these 25 verses, Jude has really set out to sound the alarm. We've seen that as we've studied through this, calling the soldiers to arms. The, uh, the alarm that's really going over the intercom is said that uh, that enemy, the enemy has crept in unaware they have sowed their havoc they've ruined the love feast they've ruined and destroyed the doctrines in the church not only have they've done that jude says that they have taken advantage of believers in the church for their own gain he said not only do they do that they continue to lie but then he focuses in that their judgment is coming But even though their judgment is coming, he said they continue to murmur and complain against God. They teach this false doctrine. And even last week, told them, and even last week, in the midst of this situation, Jude tells them, though all of these things are happening in your church, though the havoc is going on, Though the the apostates are in your church, though the false doctrine's being propagated, Jude doesn't tell them abandon ship. He tells them to remain in the church. He calls them to stand. Now, if we were going through all of this at 4600 North Edgewood, If there were people in the church lying, if there were people in the church trying to stir about false doctrines, the mentality of many people today, and I believe that's why there's so many closed down churches today, is because at any sign of trouble, people abandon ship. When something happens that they don't like, it's time to go. But here in verses 24 and 25, he makes it all the more clear to us that the reason he tells them to stay is that God's promises are true. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the problems that are going on in your church, if you will just stand and remain and rest in this, God is able to keep you from falling into the trap of the apostate. So in Matthew chapter 16 and 18, this is where the crossroad hit me this afternoon. That is what I plan to preach this afternoon. But in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18... He says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God's promise has been delivered that the gates of hell, which is the, the enlisting of these apostates, shall not prevail against the house of God. Well, how shall they not prevail against the house of God when the people of God stand up for the truth of God, counting on the promises of God? Of God, even in the age of apostasy, uh, the promise is that He will keep the church, and not only will He keep the church, we are the church that He will keep us from falling. Jude shows us the battle of these churches. Matthew 16, 18 says that guess what? Every church is gonna have issues. The gates of hell is set out against the church. So you can, if you consider yourself a local New Testament church, you can just assume that the gates of hell are set out to destroy what we have here this evening. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing. That's what we have to get to. You know, we live in a city where they go back and forth. They say that there's only two seasons in Ohio. Construction and winter. But yet, even though that we know there's only construction in winter, yet that we only know that these roads are always under construction, we still take those roads, even though they're under construction. Do we not? We do. When you go to a restaurant, and the restaurant says on the side of it, under construction, but still serving, we will go inside the restaurant and eat there because that is our favorite restaurant, even though it is under construction construction. And it seems that really in life, uh, this is a confusing thing about our outlook. Just a couple of weeks ago, I made a visit to a person's house. They said, you know what? Excuse my mess, but come in. And I went in. And don't we always do that? How is it that in every facet of life, Something being under construction, whether it's the highway, whether it's the restaurant, whether it's our home in a mess, it is acceptable to go to those places that are under construction. But it seems that when we come to the house of God, it is unacceptable in our mind that the church is under construction. That we arrive here and, you know, oftentimes the tragedy is that people will abandon the church just because something's going on that they don't like. I don't like this. I don't agree with that. I'm leaving. And now there's twofold for this. One, now don't get me wrong. God does call people out of churches. He moves people. I can accept that and I believe that. There's also another reality that they went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they were of us, surely they would have continued with us. And there's this other side of it where people are looking for this perfect church. And there is just no such thing. Here, when we come into verses 24 and verses 25, we're reminded again that there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a church who has everything all together. And the doxology of praise that Jude gives up here is that in spite of everything that's happened in the first 23 verses, in spite of all the people that have crept in unaware, in spite of all of the troubles in the church, Jude's doxology says, Now unto him that is able to keep me from falling, even in all of these troubles and tragedies, he said God is still able to keep us planted. That should be a praise unto us. This should be a thanksgiving unto us. This should be a reminder unto us that Judas told them to remain and be reminded, rest in the fact, rest in the truths of God's word. Our call is to stand, not run. Now I can understand simply, if the church as a whole gets behind a false doctrine, why you would abandon ship. But as a whole, troubles within the church is to be expected. He said here, Jude says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude's celebration is that God will and God is still able to keep the church. He's still the kind of God and still retains the power that the gates of hell will not prevail against him. And even in verse five, he, or 25, he takes the time to, to turn from the enemy that we've seen in the apostates. We, we've seen the, uh, the tragedy of the apostates and the destruction that the apostates have done in the first 23 verses. But in verse 25, Jude takes our eyes and turns them away from the apostates and says, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. He takes our eyes away from the ones who's causing problems to the one who has the ability to deliver us from problems. Three different times in the New Testament, we have been offered up doxologies where people have broke out into praise because they have been reminded that they serve a God who is able. Here in this text, Jude chapter uh, one and verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling is one. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, now to him that is of the uh, of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. Again, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, we know that text familiar to us. Paul begins to pray and offers up in another doxology. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It is something joyous, it is something exciting to be reminded that we serve a God who is able to overcome that which we face. Jude said unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now notice that Jude is speaking to us Not in the past, not in the future, but Jude is speaking here in the present tense. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. He said, listen, it is just as real as when Jude wrote it to the original recipients as it is to us. It is that every time we come to the word and read it to us, his truths are new every morning. He is able to keep us yesterday, he's able to keep us tomorrow, and he's able to keep us ever more. He says, unto him that is able to keep you from falling. I love this. This word keep, when you look it up in the original Greek, it, it's a military term. It's a military term, and it means to be on watch. It means to be on guard. It means to keep your eye upon something. It is to be appointed as the one who will stand post so that something will not happen. And so he says, unto him that is able to keep you, it is to say that the watchtower has been constructed, and while they're looking for the best, best person to survey the land so that they don't fall under attack, it is the Lord. The Lord mans the post. The Lord mans the watchtower. He is the one that is able to keep us from falling. He is the one that is able to keep us from the wiles of the devil. He is the one that is able to keep us from slipping. He is the one that protects us from the roaring lion who seeking whom he may devour. He is the one who mans the watchtower, watching for what? This enemy. This word, keep you from falling. And the word falling in the Greek, it's more emphatic than just saying fallen. Matter of fact, you could take it really two ways in the Greek. It's to say that he is able to keep you not only from falling, But our God is so powerful and so mighty that he is able to keep you from stumbling. Unto him that is able to keep you from stumbling. This is a reminder to those whom Jude was writing to in the age of apostasy, the the tangled web that was now inside of the church, all of the false doctrine, the worry and the risk of being tricked, I mean, think about the devastation that you would feel if you felt it even today that our church personally had fallen under attack and that there were members within the church who were teaching false doctrines and trying to take advantage of other people in the church. And the thought process of how didn't we catch this sooner? Jude says that he's able to keep us from falling Pray to the enemy. He is the risk of falling is great because the enemy of our soul, the devil, this old serpent, as we said, is a roaring lion seeking whom he made to devour. He's constantly seeking and is desiring to find a way to cause us to stumble. And none of us are above stumbling. None of us are above falling. None of us are above making mistakes. Uh, When I get into Psalm 73, I'm always reminded at the reality of how well Satan can paint a portrait in our mind to pull us in. Psalm 73, Asaph, when he was writing that psalm, he said, I almost slipped, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. I had well nigh slipped because this man of God, This believer had become envious of the wicked. He was envious of the foolish, envious of the prosperity of the wicked. He said, it seemed that over here we were struggling, but as I looked at them, they were prosperous. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that there was no bands in their death. It didn't even seem like anybody was dying over there. Everybody was had good health. Everybody seemed to be strong. It seemed like the camp of the wicked was flourishing more than ever. Their strength was firm. He said, they're not in trouble as other men. And he even closes that last portion up and say, neither were they plagued like other men. Just did not seem that they were afflicted at all. He said, as I surveyed their standing, I became all the more envious. My foot began to slip. I was well nigh slipped. He said, and then I considered their end. I went into the house of God, the tabernacle of God, and I considered their end. And guess what? His foot didn't slip. He was reminded. The God of Jude chapter 24, the one who is able to keep you from falling. The one who is able to keep you from slipping. The one who is able to keep you planted. Asaph was reminded of their end, but it was through the light of God's word. It was through coming to to worship and understanding through God's promises of their end. David said in, uh, this David said in Psalms, uh, I think it was, oh man, 130 or whatever. I can't remember, but he said, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. David recognized that the one who was in the watchtower looking out upon his life, he said, listen, he's, he will not allow me to slip. And matter of fact, as he's looking down from the watchtower, he is not like me. He'll not slumber at all. He is always on guard. He is always looking out for me. He is always seeking to protect me. He is always seeking to guard my every step. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If we were in Ephesians this morning, or if we were in Ephesians now, your mind cannot help but say, here we are again. The exceeding greatness of God's power. It's every time we turn around, every obstacle we face, even for the Ephesians, the exceeding greatness of God's power, it went past the mark in which they had. And here in Jude, we see again the exceeding greatness of God's power as they're fighting this age of apostasy, and God's great power exceeded past that to keep them planted so that they could stand on his behalf. Jude highlights that only our God and Savior not only has the ability to preserve us, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, only God can preserve you. But he says even more, only God has the power to present you, faultless before the presence of his throne with exceeding joy. These words point us to something beautiful. That the one who kept you from falling is the same one that's going to preserve us. This is not only going to preserve us in the age of apostasy. This, these words point that this God, our Savior, is going to preserve us all the way into the day of his return. He says... Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He draws their mind away from all of the apostasy, from all of those people. God can keep you in this time. And not only will he keep you in this time, but he will keep you until the day where the trump sounds, where the cloud from Shekinah glory comes down, and there our precious Lord and Savior is standing upon it. I cannot even imagine what it's going to be like. I can't imagine for the carnal man, for the lost man, what they will see like. I mean, I don't know if you ever sit back and wonder what it would be like, but I wonder what it would be like over at Spring Grove Cemetery for the workers on the day our Lord comes back. All of these graves busting open, Called up there to be with our Lord and Savior in the cloud. He, I love how he says there, with exceeding joy. It's going to be a joyful day. It's going to be an exciting day. You know why? Because where there is no sin, there is no sorrow. We will be with our Lord. It will be an exceeding joyful day. Well, we will have perfect joy. But this perfect joy that we will have in this day where we finally get to be with our Lord and Savior, I think it's a twofold joy. This exceeding joy. I mean, we've learned this as we've worked through Ephesians that we are, we are God's, we are trophies in God's eternal trophy case for all the ages to come we will be presented for all the ages to come to be an example of his exceeding kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. So, when we read about this, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, it's not only exceeding joy on the one who's being presented, meaning us, but it is exceeding joy on the one who is presenting the Lord has come and got his children. Hebrews chapter 12 says, "Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a joyous moment. It was with joy that the Lord came. It was with joy that, we, I mean, I know this is hard for understanding us, for us to understand that God set forth this plan. And with joy, the King of glory left glory, came here, humbled himself, took on the form of a baby, the most helpless creation of all. The Creator became the creation. He not only became this, but he became one of the most lonely things of all creation, a servant. He took upon him the death. It wasn't just a normal death. It was the death of a murderer. It was the death of the worst of the worst. He died in our place. He did it all with joy. And we grumble about vacuuming the carpets. He did it all with joy exceeding joy. It's going to be a glorious day. The presenter and the presented get to come together and go home. I long for that. I long for this glorious day. He says to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Look what he did here. The Lord is coming. And he alone, look how he gives the backhand to the apostates. They didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't even believe that they needed a savior. They didn't believe that they needed help at all. They believed that they were completely settled in their own ways. And he says here, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is him alone that can present us faultless. It is him alone in his atoning sacrifice that even can wash away our sins. So he brings the readers back home. He hits reset and brings them back to the most simple, basic truth. He fixes our eyes upon Christ and his glorious splendor. He says the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And as he sits back and marvels, Jude marvels about what has happened in his life through Christ. How through Christ, he's now going to be able to stand faultless before the throne. How through Christ Our Lord and Savior, this glorious thing has happened. He sits back and he marvels at this great thing that happened. And he, the next thing out of his mouth says, to the only wise God and Savior. I mean, who, what wisdom is this? To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and ever. Amen. To the only wise God, and our Savior. Wow. Matthew one twenty one comes to mind. Yet is the reality what these apostates denied. Even more, the apostates, as I said, denied that they needed a Savior. Jews says, even more, I'll tell you three things. He's the only wise God, our Savior. belongs to him is all glory and majesty. Glory and majesty. And even more, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. I love when you read through Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 and the third verse, it says, In whom, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom. And knowledge in him. It doesn't matter. His wisdom is far beyond our understanding. So, you may be thinking to yourself, why did you skip verses 22 and verses 23? Well, because in my mind, when it says, and of some have compassion making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. You know, when my kids or we're doing a task, we have a light bulb that's on the stairs, that's as you're going down. None of us like to lean over and try to get that light bulb until the other person we know is hanging on to the ladder hanging on to us so that we know that we're not going to fall. So in my mind, it does me much joy to know that as I'm snatching brands from the fire, there's no risk of falling in because he has firmly planted my feet. I'm not going to slip, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And the reminder for all of us is this and of some having compassion, making a difference. We have to realize this, that Jude wrote to the local New Testament church who had been besieged by apostates. They had overwhelmed the church. And yet, Jude tells us, in order to save those who've been bamboozled by the apostates, you're not going to do this by violence or anger, it's by having compassion. Even those people who are in our today and age falling madly in love with Joe Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and all of these other people who preach false truths, false hopes, old smiling Joe. We're not going to reach them by slandering, so to say, their apostates, but by getting down to the core doctrines with compassion, trying to point them back to the reality of why it's wrong with love, with care. It takes nothing to slander someone else's faith. It takes time to invest into understanding someone else's belief so that you can reach them with the truths of God's word. Having compassion, making a difference, snatching brands from the fire, and all the while knowing that he's going to keep us from falling. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time in your word this evening. Lord, I pray that you let it be on our hearts, remind us constantly, Lord, about what this epistle here, these short 25 verses in the book of Jude teaches us. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. We magnify your name. May we be mindful as we go out in this world and see people victim of circumstances. And yet we have to be mindful in the way we reach them with this word. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.